0: This is what I've been saying, the three L's, listen, learn, and lead. The advisors to do that are the advisors that are going to win. The value of bespoke advice has never been higher.
1: You're listening to CoinDesk's On Purpose with Tyrone Ross.
0: An infrastructure, money movement, security. The wealth management space is not set up to deal with the client of the future. And man, is that... An incredible opportunity.
1: A licensed investment advisor and powerful storyteller. Tyrone has a passion for digital assets and their ability to disrupt our current way of life.
0: How do I protect myself? How do I protect my firm? How do I protect my clients?
1: This show is for advisors by advisors. Advise on purpose in the arising realm of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, Tyrone Ross.
0: All right. Welcome back to another episode of the On Purpose podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Ross. I am giddy today because I have my favorite project in the crypto space outside of one that's coming soon, but there's details on that. But I have the founders of Goldfinch here, Blake West and Mike Saul. Gentlemen, how are you today? Today. Doing great.
2: Thanks a lot, Tyrone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my listeners that have have tuned in, I've mentioned Goldfinch a lot. I get the newsletter. I love it. I love everything that you all are doing. Again, it really is my favorite project in the space. I think you both would agree to me that as much as we love crypto, the space is void of real utility. And I always say crypto's real life use case that is inarguable is affecting the lives of the underserved, right? And I came to Crypto because I grew up in an underserved home that had to operate outside of the traditional banking system. So it's hard for folks to grow up like I did, see Bitcoin and not go, oh, there's nothing there. right?" I immediately was intrigued. So love what you all are doing, but let's just get right into the Goldfinch commercials. So Mike, let's start with you. Introduce yourself to everyone. Tell us about you and, and how Goldfinch came to be.
3: Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm Mike. I'm one of the co-founders. Of Goldfinch. And I think describing how Goldfinch kind of came to be helps to describe a little bit about my personal background. So I've been working at tech companies and startups here in the Bay Area for a while. And I started getting interested in Bitcoin in 2013 and in Ethereum in like 2016, 2017. And I think when I saw that, I I just got super excited, like you described, of what crypto can do for the world in terms of expanding access to capital and making these systems so much more efficient and accessible. And I felt like crypto can really change society, almost do for money, what the internet did for information. And so I wanted to just focus my whole future career on crypto and I joined Coinbase to run their product analytics team and was working on these same sorts of problems there. And Blake and I know each other for a while, but while we were at Coinbase, we were feeling like the industry could do a lot more to have that kind of direct yeah. impact. Like you described, it felt like a lot of what's happening. And crypto is kind of speculation driven, which is, I mean, there's, there's a place for that. But there's kind of a ceiling of what you can do with a system that is primarily driving kind of speculative type of activity. And in order to really expand what crypto and DeFi can do, we need to bring like the whole broader global economy into DeFi. And at the same time, by doing that, we can have all of these existing financial systems benefit from the kind of interoperability and efficiency and openness that DeFi brings. And so we yeah. started Goldfinch to be that bridge to basically allow borrowers out in the world to get capital through DeFi and, and have a way to bring these kinds of borrowers on chain. And so the core problem that Goldfinch is solving is how can you allow a borrower to get a loan without putting up crypto as a source of collateral and instead putting up all of their activity that they're doing in the world to expand their business as collateral instead. And so we started Goldfinch two years ago, and, and that's what we're building with an initial focus on these fintech and lending businesses in emerging markets throughout the world because they are great businesses, but they've been traditionally underserved by the older kind of credit markets. And crypto is just perfectly set up to provide that capital to them and in doing so, expanding access to capital to businesses and consumers throughout these markets.
0: Blake, you set the bar high, man. How do you follow that? <laughs> yeah,
2: I think Mike, Mike really hit a lot of the, the high points there. You know, I think just one thing I'll, I'll add is as Mike was saying, like, we saw this opportunity for crypto to really impact the real world. And at the time, like when early DeFi was happening kind of late uh, you know, 2018, 2019, Mike and I were seeing some of that happen. But the only thing you could do for quote unquote lending on crypto was with this, you know, method where you put up $150 of so you can borrow $100. And like, Mike and I saw them, we're like, that's not even really lending. There's so many people in the world, you need to not put up more than you're lending to, to borrow this. Otherwise, it's not really borrowing. And you know, at the time, it's still in crypto. That's pretty much the primary way that people do, quote unquote, lending. And so we were just really excited about trying to build a system that could have real world impact by figuring out a way to do what we call actual lending, You know, taking some risk and figuring out a way to allocate capital efficiently around the world. And what I was going to bring up is that when we were getting started trying to figure out who those borrowers were going to be, almost everybody said, oh, you got to do people in the crypto industry. You got to be like miners or, or market makers or traders or something like that but we felt like the you know the much more interesting thing was to go outside of crypto right to bring people into the space that weren't already there because that's that's much closer to feeling the mission that we wanted, which is bringing real world utility to crypto and expanding access to capital around the world. And so that's when we started talking to these businesses in emerging markets and just realized that it's such a high pain point. They just spend so much of their time trying to raise capital because it's so difficult. And it's not because of the risk of their business, it's because they have such a hard time accessing capital around the world. They tend to fall in this financing gap where, like, it's too much money for some of the local capital markets, but it's still not enough to be getting the attention of these Western institutions around the world. And so crypto really is well set up because it's a really global audience from the beginning, they're not going to have any of these sort of you know, biases or issues with dealing with emerging markets. And it's risk-tolerant capital. It can go anywhere uh, really easily. So that's just a little bit of extra color I wanted to add.
0: No, I, I love it because one of the things that I always talk about, if we're really talking about financial inclusion, we need to define inclusion. What does that mean? Once folks get into financial service, being included means I should have access to all of the things that folks are able to do in financial services. And that should be independent of my color, of my location, right? Like I should have access to credit markets and, you know, lending and buying things and should be able to rent an apartment and do all these things. But I don't have the basics of an account or some way to get access. I'm shut out for doing all of those things. And that's actually why I stopped saying unbanked and underbanked. Cause my mother was like, what is, what you said, what? And I'm like, no, my mom, I'm, I'm fighting for the unbanked. And she's like, well, what is that? She's like, well, Me and your father didn't have any of that stuff. We were underserved. like We just couldn't get access to anything. And at that moment, I'm like, I got to switch the lens and really change how I'm looking at this problem, even having grown up in it. So transitioning to this. So one of my other favorite companies in the space, Delphi Digital, just did a wonderful piece covering Goldfinch and what you all are doing. So I definitely want to get into the tokenomics and how it's built and all of the structure there. I think that's very interesting as well. But before we get there, I want to get to this. I think it's a really great use case to go to growing economies and underserved markets. Is there any ambition at all? And I'm happy to help here um, to, to bring this into the United States, because we have folks that live in banking deserts. Forty plus percent yeah. of the people in the South Bronx don't have access to yep. banking. So what, what, what is the roadmap there? If there's one at all, I'd love to hear that.
3: Yeah, already. Actually, Goldfinch is also in the U.S. So uh, there's a there, like Stratos is one of the borrowers, and and they borrow 20 million from Goldfinch to focus solely on the U.S. So we're already basically pretty global from the start. I mean, the vast majority over 80% is in like the global South and traditionally emerging markets. But the idea of Goldfinch is to allow everyone to participate both on the lending side and on the borrower side. And it's not just solely for certain like emerging markets is also for developed markets. But I'll say the reason why there is such a focus on emerging markets at the start is a combination of both like it is great from a mission standpoint and doing what we kind of always felt DeFi and crypto was meant to do. But also it's just the best source of yields for the space because these are just like great businesses that offer really attractive yields because they've been traditionally underserved and they are, you know, really good sort of like credit risks to be taking. And so that's part of why, but Goldfinch is designed to be generalized to any kind of credit, any kind of debt. And so, yeah, the, the plan will eventually have it be fully open to anyone in the world, including developed markets as well.
0: Yeah. That'd be awesome. Because again, I think the SBA, right? Like the Small Business Association, and there's so mm-hmm. many underserved small businesses and minorities and, and people of color that run businesses that can't access these type of markets as well. I think yep. that's a, a nice target market of folks that, again, run really great businesses have, have have great metrics on their business all across the board, but can't get access. They can't just tap in. So we're already there. So we want to <laughs> keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. See, And, and to me, again, I think one of the things that, I, that I've always talked about was, I, I truly appreciate, well, my dad is from Guyana, right? In Guyana, South America, is, it's, it's a very similar thing. You know, I started to stop my family. I'm like, all right, well, let's stop with the Western Union and all that stuff and send money. Like remittances, as you know, massive yeah. market. But right here in the country where we don't have a real-time payment system, right, where you have a lot of folks that are still using payday loans and check cash in places and money orders and all these other Mm -hmm. things. At some point, right, we got to get this to funnel down. So the actual end consumer in banking deserts or places where the country deems unbanked can get access. We're getting closer, but I think something like this kind of sets the framework for folks to, you know, inspire the right mind. I think we can get two other people together to kind of build the next leg of that and follow what you all have built. That's yeah. really where I see the,
3: the value here. That's my hope, too. And also, I feel like part of the beauty of crypto and having it be all open and interoperable is this could potentially happen really fast. So, like, we can build the system that is goldfinished, that enables some of the initial infrastructure, but because all of the code is public and anyone can build on top of it. It allows us to like very quickly enable other teams to build their kind of products, mm-hmm. whether it's apps that are working directly for folks in the local market or different kinds of derivative or like risk management, things like insurance on top of it. And then when we have the whole community across crypto building this together, I think we can we can like make a lot of quick strides in that because that's like what the interoperability allows us to do is like build yeah. way faster together on it.
0: Amazing. And so that's a great segue into how does it work? Right. Because that's the first thing advisors say, where are they getting these yields? How does it work? Right. Like, yeah. but I think there's so many layers to it, right? With GFI and all of the things that you're doing, the, the setup, right? The open source, Dow, all these things. So Blake, I'll go to you here. Just yeah. talk to us about it, right? How, how does it actually work for those listening at home?
2: Yeah, sure. So mechanically at, at a high level, there's there's a few kind of actors, I think, in the ecosystem way to think about it. There are borrowers. And then there's what we call backers and also LPs. And so basically borrowers come to the protocol and they say, Hey, I, you know, I'm looking to raise $5 million, $10 million. And, and it is loans basically at, at that size today. You, know, you can generally think of Goldfinch as like a wholesale lender. We lend to lending businesses who then turn around and lend to you know, individuals or small businesses in their local markets. They all are basically technology companies that have an edge in the way that they, they lend so they're FinTech lenders. But anyway, back to the mechanics. So these borrowers, they come to the protocol. They say, "Hey, I'm trying to raise five million dollars. Here's this term sheet. I'm going to pay, you know, twelve percent. I'm going to pay thirty days. You know, every thirty days, I'm going to be paying as a two-year loan, etc. They have basic terms there, and they're basically presenting that to the community of backers. So backers are just individuals around the world. It can basically be anybody who wants to look at that deal and decide whether or not they want to put their own money into it. And based on what those backers do the LPs are this kind of more passive group of people. So they, they put money into what we call a global senior pool. And that senior pool will basically lever up what the backers do. Senior pool mm-hmm. puts additional capital on top of what the backers are doing. And 20% of the interest from the LPs goes to the backers. And so that's a way of basically compensating the backers for doing the work of assessing the deal. And what the LPs are getting in return is their capital is automatically getting allocated across all these deals that are happening on the Goldfinch ecosystem. And the way we sort of tie this together is the backers are actually the first loss piece. So if the backers are are wrong, they're the ones who are going to lose all their money before the LPs lose any of their money. Mm. And so you know that the incentives are aligned, right? The backers aren't just like trying to get as many deals to the platform as possible because they have the most risk on the table. And so that's a system where we can have a large amount of capital from the senior pool, get allocated across many deals, and you're incentivizing this decentralized group of backers, to perform assessment on each of the deals that are going on the platform. And you know that incentives are aligned because the backers are the ones sort of taking the most risk. That's just like a quick overview of how the deals sort of happen. But then just to maybe take it to the life cycle of funds. So borrower comes through, they put this deal, let's say a bunch of backers put capital in, great. The capital from the senior pool is coming in on top of the backers. The borrower then draws down their $5 million. They're going to go out into the world and do what they're going to do with that money. So they're going to, be making loans to individuals or small businesses in their local regions, then they're gonna come back and make repayments into the Goldfinch protocol. And so those repayments come back in and the waterfall of payments is is made where the senior pool gets paid back first and then the backers after that. And that'll just keep going until the loan is repaid. And then that happens for you know dozens of loans across the ecosystem and you know more and more are happening all the time.
0: All right, so for all the advisors out there listening, you got it broke it down. That was crystal clear. And that sounds a lot like what we are used to, right? as opposed to trying to figure out anchor protocol. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, but, but Mike, to, on the other side of that, to you, I think for the crypto hippies listening now, right? Let's kind of yeah. go into the crypto part of it, of that infrastructure and how you guys built it and how it works from the tokenomic side and all of that. It'd be great to, to hear that from your angle.
3: Sure. Yeah, let's see. So I can, I mean, I can talk about the tokenomics if that's yeah. the, the main question here. So there yeah. is the, the G5 token that was launched in January. And so the token is primarily it's a mechanism for making changes to the protocol. So all kind of governance decisions, token holders will vote on changes that are made. And we're able to do something pretty unique for Goldfinch, which is quadratic voting. We do KYC through the system. We're able to know individual addresses. And so different addresses when they vote, it's the square root of the amount of tokens they put up that determines how much Mm -hmm. they vote. So it helps to ensure that like the really large token wills don't necessarily have an outsized impact on the results of any vote. So that's, that's one primary purpose of the token is just to manage changes and have the community actually participating and making changes to the protocol. There's also reinforcing the incentives in terms of folks who provide capital into the protocol, who receive liquidity mining rewards and and kind of like bonus rewards for their participation. And then there are new things we will be building as a community on the protocol. In the white paper, there's a description of the auditors where the auditors stake the token and the role of the auditors is they will be sort of randomly selected to give an approval of different borrowers to help prevent any fraud from taking place. And so the auditors need to stake that token in order to participate, and then their amount gets slashed if they, they vote incorrectly. And so these are a number of the ways that the token plays into it. But the primary one right now is around having this kind of community ownership and community voting to make changes.
0: Awesome. And I know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think DeFi Safety actually just updated your score yes. uh, in terms of, yeah, which is, I don't know if you want any you want to go into that. But uh, I, I,
2: that I can good. just just quickly say that, um, yes, they had done an initial rating, but essentially just because we didn't have the documentation explaining everything that we were doing, their score was sort of lower than it should have been. Once we released the documentation a few weeks later, they were like, oh, yeah. actually, this is awesome. And so yes. we, yeah, we received a really high rating. We're one of the most, you know, the safest protocols out there according to DeFi Safety right now.
0: I'm in the telegram. So I was like, <laughs> it's when I saw it initially, I was kind of like, come on, right? And then when they fixed it, I was like, yeah. So it was good. I'm, yeah. <laughs> we, we knew
2: I'm, we were doing good stuff. We just needed to- Yeah, to yeah. and that kind of was like that yeah.
0: too. And I couldn't I couldn't be farther away from it. You guys were in it, but I was kind of like, this isn't fair. But yeah. um, I, I'm glad to see that that was, that was updated. Smart team over there as well. Love what they're building. I think that's really good for the space. So I think I I would like both of you to answer this question. And I think this is a good way as we kind of get to a close here. I know you both are are building something special. So I want to have you get back to that. I can't let you go without just asking about the current environment, right? And Mm -hmm. everyone's it's it's, you know, the Terra Luna thing has just made it easy for people to take shots, right? And they will continue <laughs> yep. to any chance to throw rocks at crypto. As an advisor, I've been getting tomatoes thrown at me since 2015. <laughs> it's just what it is, yeah. but it's been worth it. And I think we're all here for a cause that's greater than ourselves. It makes these meetups so special. Um, And I think that's yep. what makes crypto special. So it's sad to see those things happen. But with that, I also say what we're seeing literally is the future of finance in the world being built in real time. Like it's just out there. The tinkering and the innovation happens in public, where if they're doing some rickety stuff at Deutsche Bank, you don't know until it blows up and half the country can't, you know, walk into a bank and move money. Yeah. So I think that part of it is great. I just wish they would have used Chuck E. Cheese tokens as opposed to <laughs> real money. <laughs> and I've said that. I guess Mike, I'll start with you. Just what do you think this means long-term for DeFi? Obviously, I think it means you all stand out right? a very bright light because it was, it was done the right way. But what do you think this means for DeFi in the space overall? And I guess, Blake, for you, I'd love for you to answer just where do you think this would put us in a regulatory framework, right? I think they may, let, you know, levy a heavy hand here based on what has happened. But we just love you guys' thoughts on those respective questions as we kind of speed to a close here.
3: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, my hope is this a kind of learning opportunity for the space that like we have to look at these projects and like really understand from the bottom up how it's working and how people are building it and where the sources of the yields are coming from. And when it becomes difficult to explain, like, what, where is the yield actually coming from? Or like, is it just projects using token subsidies to support it? But like you drill down and it becomes a bit of a circular reference that's. That's sort of a concerning thing. And so I hope it's a, I think, I hope I hope the change that comes about as a result of this within the DeFi space is that we're really diving in deeply and understanding like, where is that core, where is that core need being served? How are those mm-hmm. core yields being driven? And like, what is actually producing the returns that we're seeing? Because there are a lot of great projects that do that. Like Goldfinch and just like actual businesses around the world that are driving these yields. And you don't have to poke too far to understand every element of it. I think that helps Goldfinch stand out. It's also why Goldfinch has continued to offer pretty good yields. Like it was offering nine, eight to nine percent yields before the recent market turmoil. And now it's still offering eight to nine percent yields. And it's because it's these borrowers who are around the world. And so that's my hope is that we kind of learn as a community how to dig into these things and get to the bottom of like what's actually driving all of the activity.
0: Also, so before Blake, before we get to you, so do we get an algorithmic stable coin at some point or not? (laughs) Like what do you think?
3: Space get an algorithmic stable coin?
0: um well, both of you could answer that
3: <laughs> i'm not sure i can see maybe partially collateralized stable coins but purely algorithmic i don't know we haven't seen we haven't seen i wouldn't say just like no straight up uh but i don't know if we've seen a dynamic here that that proves that it will totally work yeah.
2: well yeah i mean i would say that i think algorithmic i think broadly y- yes like i think you know you could say that die is an algorithmic stable yeah. coin. you could yes. say that even fracks, they all kind of withstood mm-hmm. all of these things. Algorithmic doesn't have to mean no collateral or doesn't have to mean there's nothing backing it. But yeah, something that's just out of thin air and there's nothing backing it. You just kind of have a magic formula to keep it steady. Yeah. That doesn't seem like it works. I hope we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater too, you know, it's a little exactly. bit on your, your regulatory question. Um, I hope they don't just say, oh, ban all you know, stable coins that are have the term algorithmic in them or, or something like that, because I think there are, there are versions that can work and DAI has been working for a while. You know, it's over collateralized. Yeah. It's pretty safe. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's totally possible. I I really hope we do actually get a, a decent. I think decentralized stablecoin. That's what we want, and that's possible.
0: Awesome. Well, before we get to a close here, is there anything you want the audience to know, or anything you guys are excited about before we take off here? The floor is yours.
2: One thing I want to ask: some people say they say to us, "Why, why are you doing these loans on the blockchain? Right? These sound like just normal loans, and like couldn't you do that without the blockchain?" And I think the answer is, I mean, in theory, yes, of course, and people have been doing them, but I think they're they're kind of missing to me the the point of of what the blockchain really is, where it's not about what individual company can do. It's about a network. It's about permissionless innovation that's possible and the interoperability that is possible on the blockchain. It's about the fact that users can take their tokens from us and go trade them on some other exchange that we didn't build at all, right? The amount of like leverage and utility they're gonna be able to get by having tokens that represent their investments, I think is is going to be unmatched in the blockchain. And it's still early days on that. But when you have all the smartest people in the world building their own tools and their own services on top that can all interoperate with one another, that's going to be, I think, an unstoppable force. And I think it's going to become very clear over the next couple of years that like, if you're doing an investment, you would much rather it be on-chain because you're just going to have so much more ability to do something with it rather than like, oh, well, I wrote down my investment on this piece of paper over here. I hope I can do something with that. I think it's it's really about the network, and I think that's one of the things that people tend to to miss with with crypto projects in general.
3: Mike, anything from your end? What are you excited about? I just second sort of what Blake said, and and I'm really excited about what uh, Goldfinch can be doing over over the next year or two. I think, especially in these markets, it's a time for Goldfinch to really shine and hopefully be an example of truly great use cases in crypto and what crypto can do for the world. So yeah, I encourage uh, I, I encourage folks to check Goldfinch out. The best place to go is. website goldfinch.finance and that that has all the links to everything but yeah i'm very excited about where goldfinch is headed over the next year
0: sign up for the newsletter highly endorsed newsletter is is amazing (laughs) so before we go i think warren buffett has a quote that says If you have an IQ of 150 to sell off 30 points, so if you gentlemen are selling, I'm buying because, man, y'all are smart. (laughs) Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Grateful for the time. Again, I I look forward to doing more with you all and and really excited about what you're what you're building. I will also say this for those of you listening at home, you know, June 9th through 12th consensus. Will you gentlemen be at Consensus? You guys going to be there? Uh, We will, but other members of our team will be. Fan, that's right, you guys gotta, I know how that goes. You gotta stay back and build. So I look forward to linking up with the Goldfish team and all of you at Consensus. I will be there. We'll be doing some live pods. All things happening there. NoKidHungry.org, you already know. If you listen to the podcast, I have a mission to end child hunger in this country. NoKidHungry.org, go to No Kid Hungry. If you found anything valuable in this episode, donate to No Kid Hungry and help me cure child hunger. And lastly, send us an email. If you want to rant, if you want to come on, is it podcast at coindes.com. Send us an email. We love the feedback. Love everyone. Like, sharing, subscribing. Thank you all for tuning in on this one. Mike Blake, I appreciate you. We'll see you guys soon. Be well.
2: Thanks so much, Tyrone. It's a pleasure.
1: You've been listening to On Purpose with host Tyrone Ross and guests Michael Saul and Blake West. Today's show has been produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau, with additional production support from Eleanor Paul and Nia Friedman. Our theme song is Walk With Swag. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcasts at coindist.com subject line on purpose, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.